Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Luke chapter 4, verse 12. And let me read 10 verses down through verse 22. Coming in right in the middle, right at the end when Jesus has been tempted, he's been in the wilderness for 40 days and Satan has tempted him. We're going to pick up right at the end of that in verse 12. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? We're going to stop right there. And... It just seems that in our world, we have so many things. You know, now there are cars that drive themselves. We're living in, used to be Buck Rogers <laughs> day. You know, we, now some of you that are younger may not know who in the world was Buck Rogers, but uh, some of us a little bit older, you'll remember Buck Rogers and all of the fancy things that they had and all the great things. Well, now we're seeing all this technology. The smartphone is amazing because you'll pick it up and all of a sudden, or you'll start to ask a question and it knows the question. (laughs) Or it says, you know, you get in and you look at it and it tells you you're 42 minutes from home. How do you know I'm going home? <laughs> How does this thing know? We, we have so much technology, cars that can do everything, but families have never been in such a mess. Mental health is at an all-time premium today. People ask, why am I not happy? We've never known a time when people were so unhappy. Yet Jesus said, It's found in those notes there. I gave it to you, but it's John chapter 15, 9 through 11. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So the Lord says that he wants you to have a joyful life. And what is that? What does that entail? Now, everything that we know, we learn from someone, correct? Everything we've gotten from somewhere else. Now, all of our fears, maybe your fathers told you, you know, that oh, there was no, there's nothing under your bed, don't, be a, don't worry. <laughs> there's nothing in your closet, don't worry. Well, why would you say that? Why would you tell a three-year-old, don't, don't be worried about what's under your bed? Because now your mind begins to run, right? <laughs> you begin to think, what's under my... Or, or maybe a cartoon has taught you there's a monster in the closet or something. You've gotten these ideas. We've learned all these fears and all these things from somewhere else. Proverbs tells fathers to raise up a child in the way they should go. And literally that means according to their bending. Now, when I was a much younger man, I did bonsai trees. Maybe, Lord willing, one day I'll get some time and get to do bonsai again. Because you take a little sapling, a little tree, and you put wire around it, and you bend it, and you give it the look of great age. And you, I, you, you can vision, I want it to look like it is in the midst of a forest and has been there for hundreds of years. And so you begin to mold it, you begin to trim it, you begin to work it. And that's kind of the idea that we find in raising of children. We raise them up according to their bending. That means we raise them up knowing their talents, knowing their abilities, knowing what's good for them. And so we want to mold them knowing their interest and talents so that they'll be useful to the Lord's work. That's what a godly father is going to do. He's going to be using all of that he knows to mold and bend them so they are living a fulfilled Christian life. The world says, you've got to be a doctor. You've got to have this kind of a job or that kind of a job or you've got to make this much money or you have to be doing this or doing that. I would rather, and I'm just, I remembered the other day because Sylvia was talking to our granddaughter, something that we told our children. I don't care if you sweep the streets. We don't care if you, you know, are a trash man. As long as you're doing that for the Lord and you're living for Jesus Christ and you're doing the very best to your ability. You're using what you have. You see, the Christian life is what is worth the, the bending. It's what we want to raise them so that they will live for Christ. It's not the job they do. It's not the things that they have. But it's their relation and their walk with Christ. So, Satan's empty lie is that, oh, it's all the stuff. The guy with the most toys wins. I'm amazed we drive home and I drive by all these places and they have not one RV, but they'll have three. Why do you need three fifth wheels? I, I, don't, I don't get it. But they'll have more and more. They'll have four boats. And I'm thinking, 
How many boats can you drive at once? You know, how, how much do you need to be happy? But you see, they keep, well, I want to get this, this newer one. This one's a little better. I'm going to get a little more. Maybe then I'll be happy. We know that's not the source of happiness. That's not. So what if we didn't have a father that raised us that way? What if you did not have a father that was loving and caring and wanted to raise you up in that way? That's all right. We have God as our father. Maybe we don't care for man-made holidays that, you know, sometimes are made so that the greeting cards, their business will increase <laughs> and they're selling more cards. Well, that's all right. We, maybe you didn't have a father who cared about you and raised, didn't want to worry and wasn't worried about raising you correctly. I know in my life, I was maybe five or six, and I w was going on a business trip with my father. My dad worked in the lumber company, and we went to all these different lumber mills, or he would go up. And I remember as a young kid, and I'm in the car with dad, and I'm just chattering away and telling him everything that's going on. And I just thought, I've got time alone with my dad. And you know, he said, son, if you don't have anything important to say, don't say anything else. Don't say anything at all. You know, I never talked to him again until after I was, uh, became a Christian. I said, all right, just, that's it. <laughs> then I won't talk to you. And I'm so thankful that I remembered that lesson because when my little boy was growing up and he'd get in the car and he'd just start chattering away, I remembered. And I let him tell me whatever was on his heart, whatever he wanted to say. And it's so funny because we get in the car yet today and he's 40 plus years old. And he's like that little boy. He says, oh, dad, this is what we're doing. <laughs> And I remember him as a little boy getting in telling all those things. Maybe you had those experiences or you didn't have those experiences. Maybe you were raised in a wonderful home or maybe you weren't. But all of us have learned something from our parents. Everything that we've known, we've learned. And maybe they said, you're not very bright. I don't think you can do that kind of a job. You're not smart enough. You're too stupid to do this. Or maybe they said, well, you've, you know, you, you've fallen short. You really can't do that. You really can't accomplish this or that. And I hope that you didn't have a parent that did that to you. But sometimes parents do. Sometimes parents say, watch out for men. They're only after one thing. Sometimes mothers, because they've been hurt, They'll tell you that. Or a father that maybe his wife's left taken everything said, young man, watch out for women. They're going to take everything you have. We don't want to learn the wrong things. So let's take the opportunity to examine what Jesus, in, in his, as he's beginning this ministry in Galilee, Let's look at what Jesus does, because he's our example. You may have great examples, you may have terrible examples, but let me tell you that we have the Word of God that shows us what we should be, what we ought to be. And so, as Jesus began his ministry in Galilee, 
Let's examine what he came to do. Because just like he says there, he has gone off, and in our background, in our settings, he's gone into the wilderness, and he spent 40 days with the Father, fasting and praying. And of course, Satan has come. And did you catch that, what it said in, in Luke 4, in, in verse uh, 14, or I'm sorry, 13? That Satan had been tempting Jesus in all of the temptations. But then it said that he waited, he stopped that temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. So if we think that Satan never bothered Jesus again, think again. If you think Satan is never going to bother you, now that I become a Christian, think again. He's looking for the opportune time. His demons are looking for the opportune time. When you're tired, when you're upset or something happens and you tell your child, that's not for you. You, you, you can't do that. What are we teaching them? What are we telling them? Well, in these 17 verses, Luke really gives us a summary of what has happened throughout Jesus' entire ministry. Because Satan comes to him, and we know that on the evening before Christ was arrested, there in the Mount of Olives, we know the Scripture tells us in Luke 22, he tells us that Satan was there tempting Jesus, and that's why he got even closer to the Father. Now he's returned to Galilee. He's declaring himself as Messiah. And that's what we read in verse chapter 4 and verse 21. This day, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This day, today it's fulfilled. Now this prophecy from Isaiah that it was going to be fulfilled. Here is the Messiah. He's in their midst. So he's gone everywhere. But now these Jewish hearers are going to prove themselves really unworthy to God's blessings. Here he is, the, the, the Almighty in the flesh. And they have him, to, and they, they marveled. Isn't that what they said in verse 22? And so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words. They heard what he was saying. And that's why they were saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? We've seen him raised up. We've seen all of, all of it through his whole life. We've known his, his parents, his family. Who is this? Who does he think he is? And that's why Jesus begins to say, you know, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Oh, we will carry the message to the Gentiles because you don't want to listen. And that's when they got upset. And that's when the Jews then begin to pick up stones. And, and even right here in Nazareth, they're ready to take him out and throw him over a cliff. That's what it tells us around verse 28, 29, 30. But then it says that he passed through the midst of them. One more time, another miracle. Here is a crowd about to throw him out, throw him off. They want to kill him. He is claiming Messiah. They understand what he's claiming, and he walks right through their midst. Why? Because his time was not yet appointed. So that's happening very, very often. The crowd's fascinated with his teaching. The eyes of everyone are fastened upon him. And Jesus' words plainly are speaking, speaking about the favorable year of the Lord. 
It says that the people were amazed. The word we get, our word of wondered or marveled, that he had gracious words, words of grace. How could this be? How could this be that this Jesus that has been raised here, that we've known? Now, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. That's my message today. That's where I want us to look. In what Jesus is saying in verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You see, he leaves, he leaves the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that now indwells you because you are a child of God. As a child of God, the Holy Spirit is in your life. And that's something that he has also now told us to do, to preach the gospel to the poor to preach the gospel to all those. And now this is not speaking about financial, a financial level. This is speaking to those who are spiritually poor. They're spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing there. They're truly poor spiritually. They have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. We have no hope outside of Jesus' offer of eternal life. It's not something we can earn or something that we deserve. It's not of our own. All of us have to begin at that point. We are all spiritually bankrupt. But in Christ, He has given us eternal life. He has given us His Holy Spirit. Now we can go forth as Christ did in the power of the Spirit. If we yield, if we yield to Him, if you know you're saved, but you ask, why am I not happy? We've talked about why the world says they're not happy. But if you've wondered, oh, why am I really not happy? I'm a child of God. I'm saved. And maybe you've even come back and said, well, if I were really, truly saved, I'd have the joy of the Lord. And you've asked the Lord, Lord, maybe I'm not saved. I need to get saved. Maybe you've had those kinds of questions. Satan is there taking opportune time to put doubt in your mind, to cause you to wonder, to cause you to, to uh, fear. So he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, Jesus says, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery the sight of the, to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What does this mean? What is it in my life that is keeping me from experiencing the joy that we read about in John 15? What is it? Because Jesus said, I'm come to give you joy. I've come that your joy may be full. Why is it that if I'm a child of God, I'm not happy? I don't seem to have that joy. The answer is we need to apply the truth. That's what Jesus did against Satan. That's what Jesus says over and over. You know, in John 8, verses 31 and 32, I think I gave it to you in the notes it says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You probably heard that many, many times. You know that verse. The truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you shall be made free? 
And of course, Jesus goes on and talks about it. Now it says that these Jews believed on him. Did they believe to the point of salvation? That's another topic. <laughs> you can take a look at that and see, because then pretty soon they want to stone Jesus. Because these Jews did not recognize the bondage they were in. They did not recognize the bondage that was keeping them from fulfilling God's will in their life. Sometimes there are things in our lives that we do not recognize that are holding us, that are keeping us back. And it may have been those things that we've learned at a young age. It may be that somebody told you, you're not worthy. You're, you're second class. You, you, you're really not anything. Maybe you... You know, there's something wrong with you. You won't ever amount to much. You really can't trust anyone else because they're going to take you. And I know that sometimes, parents, we tell our children some of those things in order to protect them. We tell them, don't go out and talk to strangers. The boogeyman's out there. <laughs> so all of a sudden, what? The boogeyman? If mom and dad tells me there's a boogeyman, there must be a boogeyman out there, right? Well, and then sometimes... We are inhibited from sharing the gospel to those that are really in need. You see how Satan can take those things and twist them in our hearts. The Jews didn't recognize the bondage they are in. Sometimes we don't recognize that parents often and with good motives tell their children, watch out, watch out. And we don't recognize what we're doing. But now, as an adult, we recognize the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life as a child of God. We recognize that Jesus applies the hurt. And there may be dozens of things that were a hurt to us in the past. But let me tell you that Jesus is the answer and he gives us the answer because he applies the truth. Is there really a monster under the bed? <laughs> is there really something? Well, we know the truth. We know that we don't have to worry. You are not stupid. You're not unlovable. You were not, there wasn't something wrong with you because the truth is you are the creation of God. God made you. God formed you. He knew you when you were in the womb. You are not an accident. Your parents might have said, oh, we, we didn't plan for you, but that's all right. It didn't mean that you were an accident means that God knows your every heart, every heartbeat. He knows all about you. He made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. Now consider that. Consider what he can do with this lump of clay. Jesus has come to make us whole. Why? Because we're broken. He has come to heal the brokenhearted. You see, here he's looking at the emotional hurts, that mental, those mental hurts. What's holding you back from allowing God to accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish in your heart? Maybe it's because a heart's been broken. Proverbs speaks of that so often. Who can bear a broken spirit? If you read through the Proverbs over and over, it says that a broken spirit, who can bear? The answer is, the Lord can. Our God can. Jesus says that he does just that. He heals the brokenhearted. We apply the truth. What do I know about God and his love for me? You see, you apply the truth of God's word to your life. Who has made me in the image of Christ? 
How am I like Christ? What supernatural power has the Holy Spirit to heal my broken heart? Am I asking God to heal that broken heart? Have I recognized areas where my heart has been broken and only God can heal this? Do you ask the Lord for that? Jesus left the temptation after 40 days of fasting, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He led out. Now it was the Holy Spirit that led him into the wilderness, and now he's walking out in the power of the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit abides with you today. He resides within. He is still empowering you. He's still helping you. And then what does it say here? that Christ has come to proclaim liberty to the captives. Maybe you've been held captive, maybe by guilt. Does guilt over some past sin still bind you today? Does it binding you spiritually? I got a letter this week from Charles Watson. It was Charles Watson that taught me something very, very amazing about guilt. Because you can imagine I've been racked with guilt over what I've done. But here is a man of the Manson family. We know that he has been convicted of seven heinous murders, extremely gruesome murders. And he comes to Christ. And now what does he do with his guilt? You see, he found Jesus made him a new creation. That's why he no longer goes by the name Tex Watson. That was the old Manson family. He's Charles. He's a new creation. He had to apply the truth. We have to admit our sin and be honest about it. But then we have to begin to recognize what is the truth of God's word? Does he forgive sin? What does God say about our sin? What does he tell us about it? Well, in Psalm 25, 6 through 8, it says, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. You see, we're asking the Lord, remember me. Or Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Wow. We're going to apply the truth of God's word. He forgives us. If you doubt that, read Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justness for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are as high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are as dust. Beautiful. Read that psalm. When you're racked with guilt, when all of those things are coming back over you, when you're feeling like I'm a captive to my old guilt, there's nothing I can do. We apply the truth because Jesus says the truth will make you free. Now, you may have consequences to your sin, and you will always live with those consequences. But you don't have to live under the burden of guilt. Because we have to say what God has done. He's forgiven us. We're no longer guilty. He has said, oh, I see the righteousness of Christ in your life. Now, the Apostle Paul, I believe, always felt guilty for killing what became fellow Christians. He always felt guilty for what he had done. And yet he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that I can't change those, I can't bring those people back, but they're with the Lord. And I'm going to be with the Lord, and I'm going to take everybody I can with to the Lord. So he used all of that energy, all of that, to bring about the furtherance of the gospel. It's not that you're getting away with it. It's not that you're getting by with sin. That's not what the Lord says. He forgives our sin. The consequences still live on, but you do not have to live in the guilt. And so, he also says here that he gives, what? Recovery of sight to the blind. So we've seen now how he heals the brokenhearted. We've seen how he proclaims liberty to the captives. He gives sight to the blind. Jesus literally did that over and over, didn't he? Over and over, hundreds of people, the scriptures tell us about, that were healed. Probably thousands, so many more. In the book of John, it says that it could not, if all of that was written, all of the works, it could not contain the books in this world. Jesus still answers prayer. He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me. He answers your prayers. He hears you. And even though Satan wants to come and say, oh, who are you? Who are you? You, you shouldn't be asking God that. Take that to the Lord. Take that because Christ is there interceding, saying, wait a minute, I died for him. His righteousness is from my own. I've applied the blood to his life. And so Satan is working to deceive us. He's calling, trying to get us to go off this way or that way. But all healing today is of the Lord. Now, we don't have healings like they had in New Testament while the New Testament times were being written, while the Bible was being written. We don't have those kinds of healings anymore where you could just reach down and put somebody's ear back on or all of a sudden their leg is there. We don't find those things. But he does bring about the healing in your life. He does restore you. He does help you get over illnesses. He does help. He uses medical staff. He'll use medications. He'll use all of those things to help restore you. And sometimes he allows those infirmities. You know, sometimes I wake up and the old knees are hurting. 
And it reminds me, go to the Lord. Ask God. I need his help. I can't do it in my strength because my strength is failing. It's falling. I'm just falling apart. <laughs> and so in all of those things, that reminds us who is the one who gives healing. It's the Lord. Well, then it says that he set at liberty those who are oppressed. How many have fallen into habitual sin that has them captive? No one goes into sin thinking that they're going to get hooked on something. I had a Sally who was a drug addict, a heroin addict. And every day he went out and he was looking for some kind of a drug that he had, to, he had to get his hands on something in order to feel normal. You see, when he started that, when he started getting loaded, it wasn't that he was thinking, oh, I can't wait till I'm a junkie. <laughs> I can't wait till I'm just doing whatever it takes to get the next hit of my, my, my drug. No one starts out taking that first drink, thinking, I can't wait till I end up in the gutter as an alcoholic. And yet that's where sin takes us, isn't it? That's the way Satan works. No one starts looking at pornography, thinking that they can't wait to get hooked on it and to see the damage that it'll do their marriage. And they're just waiting to see, oh, how's this going to mess up all my relationships? That's not at all what Satan wants you to think, is it? We don't see the end of it. Satan begins with a little deception. Oh, you'll feel better. You'll have fun. If you just do this now, it'll be fun. It, you'll, you'll feel better. You'll, it'll be all right then. And we buy into that a little more and a little more. And in a very short time, he's got us in bondage. Hooked by the bait. <laughs> My son-in-law caught this big old halibut hooked by the bait reeled in. That's the way Satan does. Yeah, it looks good. It's going to take care of you for a minute. It'll just watch out. What do we do? We apply the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Admit it and be honest. Admit the addiction. Admit the brokenheartedness. Admit that, wait a minute, I'm just not capable physically any longer. We can't hide it for very long. You know what? That's what sin will do. You can't hide it very long. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, cost you more than you wanted to pay, keep you longer than you wanted to stay. I wish I had come up with that. But that was so very true. It's just there. It will pull you in. Are you held back maybe by the spirit of legalism? Well, nobody else does it the right way. I'm the only one doing it the right way. Sometimes that spirit of legalism, maybe you live your life by negatives. You're thinking, well, if I don't do that, you know what? I, I got up this morning, I did my Bible reading. But if tomorrow, if I don't get up and do my Bible reading, God's going to get me. Oh, I forgot my tithes this morning. Oh, God's going to get me. Watch out. Because God isn't worried about those things. He knows your heart. He knows that we are but dust. Now, I'm not saying that we just throw it all to the wind and just 
live however, but let's not get caught up in the pharisaical legalism like, like those old scribes and the Pharisees. That if you don't do it just this way, you know what, they got to a point where when they took a cup of water, they sipped and they kept their teeth clenched lest a gnat get in and they eat something unclean because they did not want to take in anything unclean. So you've heard about them straining at a gnat. That was what it was. They used their teeth to strain at a gnat and they swallowed the camel. See, that's what happens with legalism. Don't allow that to come in and have your life filled with the negativisms. Recognize Wait a minute, God is a, the Lord who loves me, who is gracious. You know, Peter, he looked at John after Christ had been raised, and Peter says, what about this guy? What are you going to do with him? What does the Lord tell us? <laughs> he said, Peter, this is her translation. I'll do what I want. If I want him to live until I come back, so be it. You... When you are converted, you strengthen the brethren. Don't worry about him. Now that's her translation. <laughs> but that's what Jesus was telling him. Don't you worry about somebody else. You follow Christ. You do what you are supposed to do when nobody else is doing it. And I think we're getting into dark days, as Brother Jackie said. We're getting into those days when fewer and fewer are going to want to do it. But instead of being legalistic and saying, I'm the only one, Lord, kind of like Elijah, that we're going to stand there and say, Lord, you, by your power, by the power of your Holy Spirit, living within me. You can do it in me and through me. There's no other way. You see, it comes back to our position. We have to recognize our position as a child of God. We are a child of the Father. It was G. Morgan Campbell that wrote this story, and I thought it was pretty fitting for a Father's Day. A father and his young daughter were great friends and much in each other's company. Then the father noted a change in his daughter. If he went for a walk, she excused herself from going. He grieved about it, but could not understand. When his birthday came, she presented him with a pair of exquisitely worked slippers, saying, I've made them for you. Then he understood what had been the matter for all those past three months, and he said, My darling, I like those slippers very much, but next time, buy the slippers and let me have you all your days. I would rather have my child than anything that she can make for me. You see, that's what the Lord's asking. He's asking for your time. He's asking for your fellowship. And he will do the work, and he will set you free. He will give you the liberty to do what? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus said, today this is fulfilled. Now is the accepted time. Here is the truth. You see, in all of these, what do we want to do? We want to accept the truth of God's Word. We know how Satan blinds us. We know how he'll cause us to be brokenhearted, how he'll cause us to walk in guilt or in legalism or be oppressed in some other way. We apply the truth. And you're not going to find true fulfillment until you see the Lord working 
in your life. When you see Him doing it, when you recognize that it's the Lord doing it, when you recognize I'm spending time with Him, it's a joy, it's a, it, it's a pleasure, then you begin to walk and recognize true happiness. That's when you begin to recognize, I'm truly happy. I'm happy, I'm joyful because it's the joy of the Lord. I see him working in me. This world is all vanity. Solomon said, I have everything. I have all this stuff and it's all empty. It's vanity. It's passing away. Somebody else is going to get it. When you make your job serving the Lord, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. Whatever you do, it begins to cause true fulfillment when that's your main motive of life. Whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it to proclaim and show God's power and His strength. When you see God using you, He begins to use your talents and your abilities. I remember a young man, he was learning how to be a plumber at the Southgate Church. And he talked about going into people's homes, and he was on fire for the Lord. And he was so excited because being a plumber, he got to go into people's homes, and then he, got, he used that to share the gospel. Being a plumber wasn't important to him, but being able to get in and meet people where they had need and he used that ability. He used his talents. He used what he had, and he recognized, I can use this to the honor and glory of the Lord. And he said that was fulfillment. You see, when God is using you, when he's using the abilities he's given you, he's using your talents, he's using your hands, and you then naturally thank him, Lord, you did that. <laughs> he wants to give you freedom. Don't allow bondage to remain. I think, in closing out, I think that we may have to come to that place where we ask ourselves, what would it be if I allowed the Holy Spirit to have complete control of my life? What if I allowed the Holy Spirit to have full sway every single day? How much more could the Lord be using me? How much more could be accomplished? But it comes by your position as a child of God, walking with Him. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or you can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Stone said he is risen just as he said.